Okay, good evening. Thank you for coming. Uh, tonight's shear was dedicated by the Schuller family, by Jeff and all the Schuller children in honor. By Adina, I can list them all. It's a whole long line of them. Kanainahara. Adina Benyama Michal, Gabriel Yosef, Eliana Ariella Davora, Zachariah Meyer, Yaakov Dovber, Chana Leah. Got them all covered? Okay. In honor of their mother and wife's birthday, Yael Davida Schuller. May Hashem bless her with the Shnas Brach This is going to be on. Shabbos, the 30th of Sivan, may Hashem bless you, with much, much, much baracha and atzlacha in everything, an incredible, wonderful, good, 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 good year, with only simcha and only joy, and a lot, a lot of good things, and simchas in the family, Bezrat Hashem, Parnasa Brachava, and only, only great things. Thank you. Um, another, uh, an honorable mention in today's class, uh, this is for Rabbi and Mrs. Shalom Rabashkin in honor of their anniversary. Shamsha benched them with a big, big, big bracha with a lot, a lot of mazel and good, 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 good things and a good, good year and many, many, many happy, healthy, good years together. Forever and ever. Thank you. The CD this week is available for dedication. Being that our CD machine is Coming back from the doctor, Bezos Hashem, all healthy, with Hashem's help. Until then, it's um, pretty costly to make those CDs. If anybody wants to dedicate that, that would be really, really, really helpful. Thank you so much. Last week, we Baruch Hashem found someone after the class. So if anybody retroactively wants to grab that merit, like last week, that would be awesome. Okay. Now we are this week studying Parshas Korach. Oh, I do want to mention, next week, Monday night, Gimel Tammuz, I'm going to be actually doing a talk, and not a talk, a whole Fabrengan and Pico. So we're not going to have the class here on Monday night. Maybe it'll be on Sunday, so look out for the email. If I'll do it on Sunday, I don't remember if I have anything happening on Sunday. So it's very possible we'll move the class to Sunday, but be aware of the email. Thank you. Another important announcement, this week's Thursday night is going to be on Wednesday. Okay? So everything is moved the day ahead. Thursday night is going to be on Wednesday. I have a wedding on on Thursday night, so the thing is going to be on Wednesday. Okay, thank you. Um, We are now ready to start the Parsha, Parsha's Korach. Um, my confession is 
although I did pay a lot of energy and a lot of, a lot of time to try to give a good class tonight, the information that I want to convey is in the oven, and it can probably use another two, three days of baking in my head for it to, uh, for it to be fully developed. That's based on my, my work, based on the Eberster's ability to have the uh, goods delivered quickly in the merit of all the listeners is yet to be seen as the class will unfold. Uh, there are some deep concepts I haven't yet fully, I haven't fully worked it out. But Hashem will help, like he's done all the times in the past. Um, okay. This week we have a story, like many of the Parshias and Bamidbar, that is focusing on the Jewish people in the desert. And we have trouble, you know. We're, we're a Amkshe Oref, we're a difficult people. And that's what God loves about us so much. He could have had a, I'm sure had he taken the Japanese or something like that, everything would have been very smooth and worked really well. But he likes the, you know, with the Jewish people. It's, there, is, there is drama in the relationship. There is energy, there is tension. There is, it's beautiful. That's, that's what makes a relationship meaningful. As if there are ups and downs, there are struggles, there are things to overcome. And our relationship with God is pretty intense. So we had last week, we had the story of the Maraglim, and we follow this week into a story of Korach, which stages a, who stages a great rebellion against Moshe in the Midbar. And the main rebellion was, Korach was a levi, and he contested the Kohanim, the Kohuna. He said he wants to be a Kohen. He'd lie, he also wants to be a Kohen. Um... And that was his, his, his thing, like, why, what makes you be the Kohen? And we're, in other words, there is an understanding that the Kohuna is the highest post. This Kohen Levi Yisrael. The Kohanim have the highest and deepest connection, spiritual connection. And Korach said, you know, we're from the tribe of Levi, why can't we be the Kohanim? And it was just, you singled out your family to make yourself higher than everybody else as the Kohanim. Um... Okay, the Zohar, where this class is a more of a mystical class, we try to get into the inner workings of the parsha. The Zohar explains the machlokes of Korach as a contest of the Levium against the Kohanim. Meaning it's not just a happen to be Korach. It was the general, um, um, the Levites were not satisfied with being the second in, in, in terms of in, in greatness, they wanted to have a higher role and they wanted to be independent from the Kohanim. And as we're going to see, the Zohar seems to describe that the problem that Korah had was two things. Either, or two opinions in the Zohar. Either he wanted to be superior, that the Levites should be superior to the Kohanim, or he wanted that if not superior, at least they should be equal. And that the Levim the Levi should have a certain independence. And as we learn in the Torah, we see that it's not that case. That the Torah keeps, is very, very strong in making the Levim being the attendants of the Kohanim. That the Kohanim are the main, uh, those who minister in the Beis Amigdash, those who officiate in the Beis Amigdash, and the Levim are their helpers. They must have the Levim to assist them, but the Levim have to know their place, that they are secondary in assisting the Kohanim. 
So, um, let's read the, this passage in the Zohar quickly. So that it's right in the beginning of Parshas Korach. The Zohar says the Torah, and by and by Korach doing whatever he um, launching his rebellion against Moshe, it was in a sense a rebellion against the Torah. Why? Because the Torah is the strength and the power of the right side. Kamadat Amar, like it says, that the fiery law came from Hashem's right hand. Right is chesed, kindness. So the Torah is the power of kindness. It's called Torah's chesed. It's a Torah of kindness. And that's why the Torah, the fiery law, comes from, comes from the right. However, there is a little fire there as well. It's not just right. In Kedusha, there has to be Hiskalalut. Hiskalalut means, Hiskalalus means integration. Extremes aren't good. Torah is balanced. Tikkun. Tikkun, everything is, everything is unified. So there has to be the left. In the Pasuk that we just mentioned, that the Torah comes from the right, it mentions element of the left as well. It says from the right side came a fiery law. Fiery law. Fire is always associated with the left side. But even though it, it has elements of fire, which is intensity and gavura, it's still emanating from the right side, which means that the right is overpowering over the left. Smala iskal biyamina. The left has to be included in the right. Manda avid yamina smala. However, whoever wants to mess with this and make that the right side should be the left, which means that the right should be weaker, the right side, which is usually the stronger side. The right should be weaker. Usmala yamina, and makes the left side the right side, which means wants to elevate the left over the right. alma. It's as if they destroy the world. It's very very severe. Okay, tachazi. Come and see. Aaron yamina. Aaron is on the right side. Aaron is. It says in in in, in uh, Parshas Vezayis Abracha, tumecha. Your urim vetumim. Urim vetumim is that special parchment with God's name that was inserted in the folds of the breastplate, which the high priest wore, the Kohen God, Urim vetumim, is given to the man of kindness. In the Zohar, we always find that Kohanim are called Ish HaChesed, Kohen Ish HaChesed. The energy of the soul of a Kohen is on the right. That's why kahanim are designated to be the blessers of the Jewish people. Because to give a blessing means you have to have kindness. And when kahanim give a blessing, what do they say? I was sanctified in the holiness of Aaron. To bless the Jewish people with love. Love and kindness are, are on the right. Kohanim belong on the right side. Levo'e bismala. The Levi'im are on the left. The Levi'im are associated with the left side. And um, Korach, the Zohar says, Korach wanted to exchange the right and the left. He wanted to make the smoil, the Levi'im, superior to the Kohanim. Begin kach is anish. That's why he was punished. Severe punished. He was swallowed in the ground. Why? And not only that, see, I already had an interesting blitz. 
that just hit me right now that's so geschmack into all of this. Okay, we'll have to hope I remember that. Beloy oi, then not only that, he also had Lush and Hara and he was punished. Rabbi Huda Amar, so that is the first opinion. It's interesting, in Hasidus, when they bring the Zohar, they bring the first passage in the name of Rabbi Abba. Now, Rabbi Abba is mentioned in the beginning, but then it goes on to mention Rabbi Yitzchak. So I don't know why they attribute this teaching to Rabbi Abba, but that's what they do. They attribute this teaching. That What is it again? The opinion of Rabbi Abba is that Korach wanted to substitute the left for the right. He had to change everything. He wanted to make the, the left, which means he wanted the Levium to dominate over the Kohanim. In other words, if he would be the Kohen Gadol, a Levi would be the Kohen Gadol. That's what he wanted. A Levite should be a Kohen Gadol. The chemistry of his soul was Gevurah. The chemistry of our own soul was Chesed. And he wanted to um, demote Aaron to be second, and he should be Kohen Gadol, which means the Levium should be superior. Fine, that's the first opinion. Rabbi Yehuda Amar, Rabbi Yehuda says, Smala isklil tadir The left is always included in the right. Korach wanted to exchange this tikkun of up and down, higher and lower. That's why he was lost from above and from below. So what is Rabbi Huda saying different from the previous opinion? How is Rabbi Huda? Rabbi Huda seems to be saying the same thing. That the left is always included in the right, but Korach was negating this idea. He wanted to negate this idea that the left should be submissive to the right. So the commentators on the Zohar, this is how the Tzemach Tzedek explains it. Um, that the, the, the difference between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Abba, the second opinion, the first opinion, is that Rabbi Yehuda doesn't want to go to such an extreme to say that Korach was so fanatical in his belief that he believed that the Gevura should be stronger than Chesed, that the left side should be stronger than the right side. Korach would not have had such such ambitions, that's too much. Instead, he says, as I mentioned earlier, that all that Korach wanted was that Rabbi Huda is emphasizing that the left not only is it generally second to the right, but in every aspect, the right controls the left. The right has to dominate the left in all aspects. And that's what Korach didn't like. He was, he was okay in accepting that he's second. But he did not like that at least in his job, he felt he should be independent to do it his way. And not to have to have uh, the Kohanim overseeing even the work that the Leviim are doing. Because when we take a look at the service in the Beis Amikdash, we find two things. Number one, the main players, the main workers in the Mishkan, the ones who are the dominant role in the Beis Amikdash, were the Kohanim. It's clear. The Levium had important roles during the temple, during the time of the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the desert. The Levium were the ones who assembled and disassembled and carried the kalim, carried all the, ut- the utensils and everything in the Mishkan from place to place, which had huge spiritual significance in the spiritual realms, what they were doing, moving from place to place. This was awesome. In addition to that, they were also the ones who would sing and accompany all the karbanos. They would, and they were also guards. They would guard 
the Beis Amigdash. Later when the Beis Amigdash stood, they were the guardians of it. They also were the ones who um, would sing. So they accompanied. But they were accompaniment. They were not the main, the main performers, so to speak, in the Beis Amigdash. That's number one. Number two, even in their secondary position, which means in the work that they were doing, they were controlled by the Kohanim. Why? The Torah emphasizes two things when it explains um, the, the, how the Levian did their work. When the Levites assembled and disassembled and carried the Beis Hamikdash, the Mishkan, from place to place, the Kohanim had the role of appointing the Levian, each one, to their particular service. That means that a Levi couldn't choose what he wants to carry, which job he wants, what he wants to do. If the Elazar or Isamar, these were the two sons of Aaron, they were the managers of the Levian, they were the ones who appointed, and a Levi that changed his job was liable for the death penalty. If you were supposed to carry Keresh, beam number 36, and you decided to carry beam number 37, you were messing with big things over here. You had your particular piece, of, and who assigned it? The Kohanim. The Levian didn't have their own managers. The managers were the Kohanim who managed the Levian. That's number one. Secondly, in the carrying itself, before they began carrying the Kalim of the Mishkan, um, the Kohanim had to come and cover all the, all the utensils with a special covering. On the Shir before Pesach, before Shavuos, we discussed this idea of the covering of the Kalim of the Mishkan before they traveled. We spoke then that the Aaron had three covers. But who were the ones who covered the Kalim? Not the Levium. The Levium were not allowed to approach the Kliha Mishkan. The Kohanim had to come, Aaron and his children, place each Kali, each one of the utensils, the menorah, whatever it is, into its cover. And after the Kohanim placed the Kalim into their cover, then the Levium can come and carry. So you see that, that even in those areas where the Levium had their role and their actions, it was dominated by the Kohanim. And that's what Rabbi Yehuda says Korach didn't like. In other words, he's different than, Rabbi, than the first opinion in the Zohar. The first opinion of the Zohar is that Korach felt that he should, his role should be greater than the Kohanim. And the Kohanim should be his servants. Not the Levium should be the servants of the Kohanim. The Kohanim should be the Levium. The, the, the Kohanim should be the servants of the Levium. The attendants of the Levium. Rabbi Huda says, no, 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 no. That would be very extreme. Korach didn't even entertain that thought. All he wanted was, at least, that he should have freedom and liberty in his own work to manage things the way he wanted. Instead of having to have the Kohanim appointing him and his buddy and his friends in their work. At least an hour. This is our field. Let us do this. You don't have to manage us. That was the, 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 their complaint according to this. So we need to understand the deeper significance. What does this mean? It wasn't just a matter of, you know, he didn't want to be told what to do. There must have been some deeper understanding of why Korach felt it should be that way based on, on an inner understanding of, of the dynamics of life. Okay? That's number one. Now... Um, I'd like to, for a moment, take a look at what happens, you see, right after the sin of Korach, 
after finally, it took a while to, to put down this rebellion, to, to put out this fire. This was a terrible, you see, the Torah, there were a bunch of things that happened. The Jews, even after Korach was swallowed in the ground, they still complained. And again and again, and then a, and a plague came out, and so on and so forth. Finally, they had to take the staffs of everybody and put them into the holy, and whoever's staff was going to blossom. It's, this was the hardest things for the Jewish people to accept. Finally, after everything was silenced, and, and there was no more, uh, there weren't any, any more voices of opposition, Hashem speaks to, to Moshe, and He instructs Aaron as follows. Vadabra Hashem, uh, here we are. Um, Vayomer Hashem el Aaron. Hashem says to Aaron, Ata ubanecha, you and your sons, ubeisavicha and your father's house, itach with you, tisu esavoyna migdash. You are going to bear, you're going to have to carry the inequities of the, of the, of the, of the Migdash, of the sanctuary. In other words, the sins relating to the base of Migdash, it's your responsibility. Because you are the managers over here, you're the overseers over here. I put the responsibility of the sin of the base of Migdash upon you. Simply, what does it mean, the sin of the base of Migdash? The sin of the base of Migdash is not that the base of Migdash sins. What does it mean? Sins regarding the base of Migdash. If people that are don't should not, people that should not be involved should not be touching things, um, you're responsible to guard it. Okay, but it's interesting. The Torah uses the term "you and your fathers, you and your children, should bear the sin of the mikdash," seeming to imply that the base mikdash itself can sin. Does that make any sense? No. However, as we're going to see soon, it does. Now let's continue. You and your sons with you, should bear the sin of your kahuna. So we're talking about two types of sin. The sins of kahuna and the sins of the migdash. What kind of sin is the kahuna? What kind of sin is there in the migdash? Fine. Then he says, And also your brother, the tribe of the Levites, of Levi, um, the tribe of your father, don't reject them. Don't be angry now at the Levium, we would think, after their rebellion, to push them away. Say, guys, you know what? You messed up. You know, just get out of here. Shouldn't do that. Bring them close. The Yolavu Elecha, they will join you, the Yeshar Sucha, and they will attend to you. They will help you out. Oh, so we are calling for the Levium to be involved, but again, do you hear what's being told very clearly? You bring them close to you, and they should, they should attach themselves to you, which means they should be secondary to you. They should accompany you in the service. Strong emphasis on the Levium not taking charge, but the Levium being secondary and only accompanying the Kohanim. The Shamru Mishmartacha, they should help guard your guard, and the guard of the entire tent. Now all these commandments were already given earlier. Now Hashem is repeating it in the beginning of Bamidbar when we're setting up the Levim. Hashem gave them exactly what their job is. But I guess because there was now a rebellion, because there was now, especially based on the Zohar, what I just told you earlier, what was really perturbing them was they didn't like the dominance over the Kahanim in terms of their, in their field, in their work that they were doing. They didn't want to be under the surveillance and the charge of the Kohanim. So Hashem is now saying it again. No, don't allow them to come and touch the Kalim of the Mikdash. They shouldn't die. Gam Gam Atem. 
Because if they will touch it, they will die, and you too, and therefore. They should just be accompanying you. V'shamer was meshmer is fine. And here's these words. V'zar lo yikrav aleichem. And a stranger should not approach. Simply, what does he mean, a stranger? Someone who's not a Kohen and not a Levi, or Yisrael, shouldn't approach. Okay? And that's their job. Your job and their job is that. And then it says it again. Um, I, I've taken the Levium to be yours. Fine. And then it says, Vavadim, and I've given your kahuna, Vahazara Karev, and a Zara stranger that comes close, you must shall die. Okay? From the Psukim, it seems to imply, it doesn't say that you should, that you shouldn't allow a stranger to come close. It doesn't say you should put to death a stranger that comes close. What it seems to be saying, and we're going to see how that fits in the spiritual dynamics, amazing thing, is that if you will set up the Mishkan in this way, that the Kohanim will have the leading role in the Beis HaMikdash, and they will be the ones putting the Levites in charge, then what is going to be, not what should be, what is going to be naturally consequence is that a stranger will not approach. But if you won't do it this way, and you will allow, what? Either you won't guard at all, of course, then anybody can come. But, but even if you, will, you won't do it this way, and you'll allow it to be Korach's way, which means you'll allow the Levim to have a little more a little more of their own uh, power, their own strength, and they will do their work, then we're not sure that a stranger will not approach. What's wrong? Let the Levium guard. Levium can guard, chase away the strangers. So somehow it seems to imply, no, that only when the Kohanim are the ones managing it, then the strangers keeps away. When the Levium are going to be managing it, then the strangers, then we're vulnerable for the strangers, whoever those strangers are, to come in. So all of this needs some explanation. So what is this? What did Korach want? What are the two opinions we said before in the Zohar? He wanted the main job or he just wanted to be secondary. What's this idea that the Kohanim have to micromanage the Levites and everything and not give them their independence? But we need them. They have to be there, but they're only secondary. So what's the message? And what does it have to do with today's days of all of us? So let's get a little deeper into this whole idea. We mentioned earlier Kohanim and Levim. Kohanim are chesed and Levim are gevura. Now chesed and gevura we know in, this, in the regular terms chesed means kindness and gevura means strength. Um, in a deeper sense chesed is projection, revelation and gevura is contraction. Uh, gevura is a contraction. Ezehu gibor what did the sages say in Pirkei What is called the gibor who is a mighty person? Hakovesh es yitzro. One who can conquer his inclination. What does that mean? The inclination is a desire to act, to do something, to express yourself. And the conquering of it means to refrain, to pull that back, to control yourself, which means to withdraw, which means a contraction. To contract the impulse, the desire to, to do something, but to pull it in. We know when God created the world, they are the two, these are the two dynamics that there are in creation. There is the power of chesed and there is the power of gevura. Hashem created the world biyom asois Hashem elokim eretz v'shamayim. When Hashem created the world, there are two names of God mentioned. 
In the beginning, it mentions only the name of Elohim, Bereshis Bara Elohim. But later in Parshas Bereshis, it says, Biyoim Asois Hashem Elohim Eretz Veshamayim. It was the day that Hashem and Elohim created Eretz Veshamayim. So what does that mean? Hashem, Yudke Vavke, is generally the name associated with Rachamim and Chesed, more kindness and revelation. And the name of Elohim is the name of contraction and the name of limitation. So from here, from this, these two forces that are there at the very, 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 very beginning, at the very, very, very onset of existence, they are the two dynamic forces within God that are involved in creating the world, chesed and gavura. This causes and translates into every aspect of creation, every element of life, that life works the pulse of life is chesed and gavura mixed together. We see it even within ourselves that we have a pulse. And we breathe, we inhale and we exhale. So there is, the inhaling and exhaling is both expansion and contraction. Expansion and contraction. That's what the pulse is also. In and out, in and out. Ratzoi v'shuv. V'achayos ratzoi v'shuv. It says in Sefer Yecheskel. It speaks about the malachim. It says the malachim are racing upward to receive the light, and then they retract. There's a contraction. There is an expansion and a contraction. And as it is in the angels above, the same it is. There's another interpretation of what means vahachayos. Either it means the malachim that are called chayos hakodesh, or it's referring to God's energy that's descending into the cosmos. Chayos, the energy, the vitality of the world, is is in a state of shuv. Shuv means it settles into the creation to create. Flow and ebb. It flows into the world to give life. And a moment, a second later, instantly, it retracts into itself, back into its source, in and out, in and out. That's the pulse of life. The root of these two movements are chesed and gavura. Chesed is to reveal, to give, which means to flow into the vessels, into the containers. To fill the container, whoever, the recipient with light. Gevura is the opposite, to contract that energy back into, into oneself. These are the two four forces. Korach, now the, the Kohanim, their element is chesed. And that's why, why they, that's why they're all about filling the vessels with light. What did we say earlier? What is the main job of the Kohanim at the base of Migdash? Even though the main job was Kurbanos. But in Karbanos also, what's, think about Karbanos. Even though in Karbanos we're taking an animal, we're burning it up, we're elevating something, we're kind of taking a creation out of its created state and returning it back into its pre-created, taking an energy that was in a vessel, releasing it from its vessel, and putting that energy back into the Ein Sof, into the infinite light. That's what it seems to be, a carbon. True, you're doing that, but the main part of a carbon is not that. The main part of a carbon is the gushing, godly light that follows that spark of holiness that has now risen up to its source. That's only acting as a stimulator to stimulate something. And then the main part of a carbon is reach nichoach l'ashem. As a result of the carbon that we give, we cause, we cause God to smell it, this delicious fragrance. And what does it do? He then reacts by flowing, by opening up and allowing a powerful flow of God's light into all of the universe, into all of the cosmos, all the vessels. The entire world is filled with Hashem's bracha and Hashem's light. That's the main aspect of Kohanim. 
it's not so much the ascent, it's more the descent, the carrying of the Hashem's light down. That's why the other main job, and that's where I was going before, is where the blessings that the Kohanim give. They're taking, what are they doing? They're taking Hashem's infinite light and bringing it down to every single person in the congregation. Everybody and what they particular need in their small, tiny, little cups. Everybody has their cups, what they need. You, people need you need children, healthy children, and, 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 you need, and you need life, and then you need parnasa. But detailed, detailed down to the nitty gritty. This one needs a shidduch, this one needs more parnasa, this one needs to find help in their home, someone to help them out, and so on and so on. Everybody's got these tiny little, little fragments, little crumbs of needs. And the kohanim, when they give the blessing, are supposed to kind of be in tune with their community, Know that, it's a good, it's, that's what it means with love. What does love mean? Love means you know people and you know what they need. And the Kohen should think, you know, this one I will have in mind for this, this one I have in mind for that, this one I have in mind for that, so that they can channel that bracha down into the vessels, into the containers. The energy as it is coming from God is not particularized as to be food or to be uh, a, a, a shidduch or to be this or to be that. It's just a powerful energy of goodness. The Kohanim are all about particularizing into the details, bringing it down, 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 down into, into the world. If you take a look at the Levian, you see that their service was the opposite. The Levian were all about singing. They came into the base of English and they had music and they sang. And singing was, what did singing create? Singing creates a longing, a thirst. It's the idea that the, the, a Jew who walks into the base of Migdash and generally has become so, his, his life has become so, so stuck in his physical needs of his, of his body, the, the, the levy wanted to create within this, within, this, in this, within this neshama a yearning. To the point that when the person came into the base of English and the music played, there was powerful nigan. There was a real deep nigunim that the levian played. You ever listen to a deep Hasidic melody that touches your soul and evokes, it touches you in a deep place and it awakes up in you a powerful yearning. Yearning to cleave, a yearning to dissolve in Hashem's light. That's what happened. It brought people to tshuva, to, to returning, the elevation of souls. That's the levium. So the levium are fire. Fire rises upward. The kohanim are water, which, which descends downward. So now the question is, who dominates who? What is the main thing? So um, let's go to the very, 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 very onset of creation. When the, when the Etz Chaim in, in, in Arizal, when he discusses how creation came about, he discusses that God's light filled everywhere. First it was the Orient Sof, the infinite light of Hashem, filled all possible space. And what was the first movement within God kind of to bring about the creative process? The first thing that happens in the Orient Sof, in Hashem, is a contraction. Hashem pulls back this infinite light and he pulls it into himself. And the words of the Arizal, Hashem makes this black hole called halal, an empty space. A space where his light is not present, which means his presence is not felt. He retracts into himself to create a void, an emptiness, a, 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 a vacancy. There's nothing there. Now in that space, that's where it creates the possibility for someone else to exist. Fine. What happens next? After you have that void, and after you have that vacancy, what happens next? Hashem now projects into that black hole, into that emptiness, Hashem projects a ray of light, which means an infusion of energy, 
And that infusion of energy is going to serve as the power that's going to create whatever is going to be created. And of course, that's where the whole book of Arizal, the book of Eitz Chaim, uh, goes on to explain the gazillion stages of how this projected flow now that is now flowing into the, into the realm, how it descends lower and lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. It gets weaker and weaker and weaker until it will create physical existence. It's not ready to create yet a world until after myriads and myriads of, of descend as it descends. So Korach, who was a very wise man and a very great Kabbalist and a very deep thinker, analyzed this. And especially since his soul came from the power of Gevura, he appreciated the power of where Gevura begins. He wasn't a silly man, he wasn't a superficial human being. Rashi says he was a pikeach, he was a wise man. Real pikeach means he understood the truth of things. So Korach traced back to the very beginning and he said, hey, what comes first? Is the chesed first or is the Gevura first? That means in God himself, what's taking place first? Chesed is the projection. When Hashem is projecting His or the Gevura is the what? The contraction. And what happened first? The contraction had first. First, the light was reabsorbed higher. The light, instead of being in a revealed outer state, like it was at the beginning, was retracted into, Hashem brought it back into Himself. Imagine if the sun would decide, or... Hashem would make the sun pull all of its rays back into itself. Suddenly it would become absolutely black and dark because all the sun rays would retract into their source. That's what happened right at the beginning of creation. A contraction happened that the expressed light was reabsorbed into its source. That's Gevura. Then after that came one small little ray, which is the, which is the Kav, which is Chesed. So Korach is making a, 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 and then he understands that from the, the dynamics of these two powers later translate amongst the Jewish people, two types of people. People that are all about shining light, those are the Kohanim, and people that are all about going back into the source. That's what the Leviim are. To raise an Ashama back into its source. To pick the world up back to its source. To have the energy go out of the vessels and retract back into its source so it can regenerate, so it can be reconnected in its, in its, in its, in its, in its essence. So Korach felt as a result of that, what's higher than what? First of all, in terms of, obviously then we can't talk about time because there is no time, but the way it is explained, first contraction, then projection, then revelation. But... As it is explained, it's not just a matter of first, it's also quality. The contraction, what does it mean? The light is going back into its, into its source. <laughs> when the light is inside the source, it's far greater than the light when it's outside of its source. If we to look, if we were to use, I know it's a little abstract, but if we to use sunlight as an example, as strong as the rays of the sun are down here, when they reach billions of miles away when they come down to earth, we can understand that these rays closer to the sun, they're much stronger. And when they're still inside the sun, they're so much stronger on the one hand. On the other hand, these very rays, because they are in the sun, over there these rays are nothing other than the sun itself. They're just melted in the sun itself. They're not a ray, they're just part of the sun. So they're much deeper. They're, on the one hand, they're more, far more potent. On the other hand, they, far, they, they exist much less 
Because they don't exist as a ray, they exist as the sun. Wow, so much higher. Then when the ray comes out, two things happen. Number one, it's not as intense as it was when it was in its source. Secondly, it takes itself more seriously because now I'm a ray, look at me. I'm a ray. So where is, you can translate that in, uh, in our lives. You know, chassidim, chassidim and a rebbe. When a chassid is by his rebbe, he is then, the, the rebbe evokes and awakens within this chassid all of his spiritual powers of his soul. He's alive, he's alive, he's deep, his energy. Every aspect of this chassid who is connected is like turned on to the highest value. It's mamish, I mean, to, to be by a real tzaddik, you know that. It's, it, the tzaddik just, just inflames your soul. He wakes up every element in you. And you want to be a really good Jew. You want to be connected. You, your mind is like fully open. Your heart is ablaze. Every aspect of your being is sharpened because you're in the source. You're connected. But on the other hand, included in that is you, you have no self-awareness because you're, you're inside. You have no credit for yourself. Let's say this chassid is a big lamdin, a big, a big, a big, a big, a big Talmud Chacham, a big scholar. He himself has a lot of followers, but when he's lost by his teacher, he's a nobody. So on the one hand, he's so much stronger than when he comes back home and he's just went away from the source. The inspiration wears off. The connection wears off. And number two, here's the amazing thing. When he was by his teacher, he, when he was so much greater, he was so much less of a metzius, of an entity, because he was lost in his teacher. When he leaves his teacher, he becomes in concept, think about it, he becomes so much less than he was before, but to himself he becomes more important, because over here he has students and congregants and so and so, and people listen to him and so on and so forth. When, when he was by his teacher, he was nobody, because he was lost in his teacher's light. So that's so much greater so much greater. Because we know that when any, when, any, when any entity has self-awareness and is a somebody, it's already, it's like three quarters dead. The, in Hasidus, we always talk about the bittel is, is, is what's really great. When you're a non-entity, then you're really great. So which one is greater? The, when the Hasid is in his, by his Rebbe, the Hasid comes back home. He's so much greater when he's by his, by his, by his Rebbe, in the source. So Korach says, hold it, the Gevurah is so much stronger than Chesed. And if that's the case, in the Beis HaMikdash as well, we, the, the Levites, who are the ones who lift the people up into their source, we, we stimulate the Gevurahs, we waken that element up, that's so much greater than the, than the, than the meager or weak um, a, a, a revelation that comes out, that's the Kav, what's the Kav? A small little ray, external ray that comes out to illuminate the darkness. Chesed, you can't compare the chesed projected light to the intensity, to the greatness of Gevura. Now, do we find something like that in Yiddishkeit ever? That the, uh, that the, that the retraction into source is stronger than the projection outward? There are elements in Yiddishkeit where, where, where that's true. And I'll give you two examples. We look at Balchuva and Tzaddik. Tzaddik is projection. Tzaddik is the person who's doing all his life. He's always, he's filling his vessels, his containers, the containers of the world around him with a lot of good. good. He's always doing good deeds, thinking good thoughts, influencing his environment in a very, very good way. That's Tzaddik, always doing right. The Balchuva is someone who messed up. Okay, his vessels are destroyed, his broken vessels. He's made such a wreck in his life, everything is broken. He has nowhere to go but to run back into his source. 
And what does the sages tell us? The Balchuva, because of his because of because he's running away from the dark, broken world that he's that he's that, he, that he's living in, and he's running back, and so his intensity and his connection to God is so much deeper. So you have that idea that the Balchuva is higher than the Tzaddik because the Balchuva is Gevura and the Tzaddik is Chesed. That's one one element. Another one. Which one is greater, positive commandments or prohibitive commandments? In our life as a Jew, we have these two dynamics, chesed and gavura. Chesed is in all of our mitzvahs that we do. When we do positive commandments, what's a, what, what's a mitzvah? Um, every mitzvah is you're creating a vessel in which, you, when once this vessel is created, God's light flows into that vessel. It's almost like you're creating in this world a limb for the soul, Hashem is the soul of the world, you're creating a limb where the flow of energy from the soul can go into that limb. For instance, tefillin. Tefillin is a perfect piece of physical matter that when you forge it, form it, and write those particular letters in that particular way on that parchment and on that ink, you've created literally a physical brain. Hear this. A physical brain for God's mind to come down into that brain. Into the tefillin. You, you, just, you just made God a brain in the physical. And now Hashem's mochen, his intellect, is residing in that tefillin. Oh, but what is that? That's projection. He's projecting his light into a vessel, into a container. But then there's another type of a service. And that is what we call losase. What is losase? You're not doing a mitzvah. You're not creating a vessel, a container within which to draw God's light down. You are refraining from doing something. You're holding back. You are not sinning. Oh. So you, most people think that when I'm not sinning, okay, so I, I didn't accomplish anything. Am I stimulating it? Is this anything to do with any kind of spirit? P- people that are looking for spirituality and for energy. I mean, someone is just looking to be a good person. Okay, yeah. You know, I'm not sinning. I'm kind of being a good person. That's wonderful. But someone is looking for relationship with Hashem. Like just not sinning, okay, so I, I, well, I'm, not, I'm not a wicked person, like uh, God cannot be in a relationship with a wicked person, that's all I did. I barely saved myself from being a wicked person that God can't, can't have a relationship with. That's it. But if you learn a little Hasidus and you get a little deeper, you realize that when you, when you actually had an impulse, a desire, a want, a craving, a lust, or whatever it is, to do something, or you had a, a, a anger and you wanted to lash out and say something nasty, or, or fight back, or do something, take revenge, or something like that, and you control that energy, you don't let it to go out, boy, oh boy, are you touching light. Wow, what are you touching? Over here, you're not connecting to the kav, to the little ray of light. You're connecting to the pre-kav, what you're connecting to. And what did we say earlier? That at the very, very beginning, what did God do? He took the light and reabsorbed it in himself. Well, when, which means he's pulling the light in. When you pull in, when we, when each and any one of us pull in a natural impulse that wants to go out, and we pull it in and do not let it go out because we don't want to create something that is going to block Hashem. We're actually stimulating the transcendental inward light of the Orient Sof that is not, that has never been projected in that kav, in that ray, but it's still reabsorbed in its source, in its quintessential source. And we're drawing that light down into our neshama. We're tapping in to that, that inwardness of the Abishter. It's interesting. Um, that inwardness is called choshech. Because what's the difference between 
is or and choshech. Or is light, revelation. Choshech simply means darkness where there's no light. So most of the time we understand that darkness is lower than light. Darkness is, what's darkness? Darkness is just an absence of light. But the, in, 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 when we get into the panemius of things, in the inner understanding, we understand that darkness is much higher than light. Darkness is that element of God that he couldn't reveal. It's like a teacher, I'll give you a simple example. The teacher who has a very, very deep concept that he wants to teach in the class, but he takes a look at the students and he sees there's no one here to receive that teaching. It's too deep, it's too great, it's too abstract. So he needs to like pull all that information back into his mind because he can't teach it. And he finds a tiny little crumb, a little thought, a little something, and that he can teach. So what's greater, what he taught or what he didn't teach? What he didn't teach is much greater, because what he didn't teach is like the rich, the real richness, the real depth of what, what he's withholding, because he can't teach that. That went back into himself. That's greater. That's called choshech. That's called darkness. But that's darkness that's infinitely greater than light. In Kabbalah, it's an interesting idea. Chachma is always called light. Chachma is associated with light. Keser the crown that precedes Chachma is always associated with darkness. Yoshes Choyshech Sisro. Hashem shrouds himself in darkness. When a person is not doing an Avera, holding yourself back from doing an Avera, you're touching that darkness. Why? It's interesting. We say in Davening, hear, hear these words. This is such a beautiful idea. It says in Davening, we Daven at Shabbos, we say, Gam mizeidim chasoich avdecha. Also from intentional sins, chasoch avdecha. Help me refrain from. Chasoch means to refrain. Make me refrain from avera. Help me hold back. By Avimelech also, when Avimelech claimed that he's such a tzaddik that he didn't touch Sarah, Hashem said to him, it wasn't you that did it. I stopped you. I, I made it impossible for you to do it. And the Pasuk says over there, I'm the one who held you back from touching her. So you see, holding back is called choshech. Why? Same idea. Choshech means to refrain into an inwardness, not, expand, not projecting outward, but an inwardness. So when a yid doesn't do an avera, and he is... And he is and he is doing a choshech inside of himself. I have, I have an urge to sin, and I'm saying, no, I will not allow my energy to flow in that direction. I will pull it in. So guess what this person is touching? He's reaching for the transcendental inward light of the orange self that could not have been projected in that narrow little thread that Hashem did give. But what Hashem kept back... That's what we're connecting to. That's what we're st- uh, uh, touching. And that's why, interesting, we know that when we, when, we, when we don't sin, we are touching, in Hashem's name, there's four letters, Yud, K, Vav, K. So when we're doing a mitzvah, we're stimulating the Vav and the He, the latter two letters of Hashem's name. It's actually hidden, hinted in the word mitzvah, Vav, K. Mitzvah, Vav, K. A mitzvah, a positive commandment, stimulates the Vav and the He. Of Hashem's name, a prohibitive commandment. You're touching the yudke, that that which is hidden, that which is much higher, that which is transcendental.
So Korach therefore said that in, you see that there is great power in the Levite, in the, in the energy of the Levim, of the, uh, and therefore he felt that who is first and who, who should be dominant Levim over Kohanim. Interesting, in creation it says the same thing. If you take a look at the order of the day, how, how, life, how does life unfold in our life? How does a day unfold to us? What do we experience first? What comes first? The Gemara says, First there is darkness, and then there is light. What does it mean? First darkness doesn't only Okay, first is dark, yeah, because there's no light, and the sun will come up. Nah. When you understand how God is relating to the creation, you understand that first Hashem creates darkness, which means He pulls back like a teacher who wants to teach, but in order to teach, He has to first pull back all the overwhelming information into His or herself, and then He can give over, she can give over that one thought that is possible. But which one has what's greater quality? What's of greater quality is what they pull back. The chashucha, the darkness, is more than the light. So Korach believed that way. And that's why, that's the opinion of Rabbi Abba. And Rabbi Abba says that what did Korach want? He, because he re-recognized the superiority and the greatness of the Gevura, of Gevura in its Shoresh, in its root, Gevura is higher than Chesed. That's why he wanted that down here as well, it should be that way, that Gevura should be stronger than Chesed, and Levim should be, should be the, the, stronger than the Kohanim. The mistake, however, that he made was that's not, that's not, that's not true. It's true, but it's not the ultimate truth. Why is it not the ultimate truth? Because, I mean, because... What was God's intention? You're right that in the actual energy, what is, with, what is pulled back into the mashpia, into the influencer, is deeper than that which the influencer actually teaches. But what is the intention? What is the desire? What is the reason why there is even a teacher-student? What's the... Let me ask a simple question. Before God does a tzimtzum and contracts His light, what is He contracting? He's contracting His light. Why is there light? Light means revelation. <laughs> why is there light to begin with that needs to be contracted? And the answer is, what's rooted in God's very, very, very essence is chesed, is kindness. What's rooted in the deepest element of the Abishter himself is a desire to, to illuminate and to give. So even though an actualization, first comes the no and then comes the yeah, which means there is a room for the idea that the symptom is higher than the giloi, the symptom, the contraction, is higher than the revelation that follows, but in the intention, in the very, very desire of the mashpia, what does he really want? What happened? First the Abishter has, Kisha'olar b'tzayna ya'pashut, first it arouses in, in God, I want to be a king. That first arousal that I want a relationship means a projection outwards. When as soon as he wants something, his want fills the entire space of creation. It's all filled with what? With his want. So it's filled with him. So a creation cannot happen. In, see, what's the revelation of the Orin Sof? The Orin Sof was everywhere. Why was it everywhere? Why, who, who needs light? Why was there Or? What's Orin Sof? Orin Sof means the, the revelation of God. Why was there revelation of God? 
Because the moment God wants to create means he's revealing himself. That revelation of he wants, that want is everywhere. So nothing could be created because the want that God wants to create is too strong for the creation to exist because all you're sensing is the want. But there is first the want. Without that want, (laughs) there's nothing. Then after that comes a contraction. And then after that comes a new revelation, a smaller, a a, 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 um, a, a lesser revelation, one that the world can handle. So what is underneath everything? What's underneath everything at the very, very underlying energy of everything is a desire for a relationship, which means that there should be makablim, there should be recipients, and that he should project his energy into those makablim. In the words of the Hasidic terminology that we usually use in this class, Nisava HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Eibishter had a desire, Elias Loidira, to have a home, and the next word is the crucial word, Bitachtonim in the lower worlds. Which means there should be lower worlds, there should be recipients, there should be vessels, and in those vessels, as much as he needs to contract to come into those vessels, because these vessels cannot handle his infinite light, fine. But his intention is that he to enter into those vessels, and eventually the vessels are going to be have the ability, as a result of Torah and mitzvahs and the like, to eventually be able to have the entire light without it being compromised. Even though until, until the student grows up, the teacher must give the student only bite-sized pieces. And it's very difficult to do that. The teacher might much rather just want to stay in his own world and learn for himself than have to deal with a narrow-minded student in which he can only give such tiny little teachings. But yes, you know what? One day, the st- but the deepest pleasure of the teacher is that he should have a student that one day will be able to receive him as he truly is. And that will happen one day. So the impetus for everything is really the chesed. The drive underneath everything is really the chesed. In Tehillim, there is a song of one of the sons of Korach. Do you know? I don't know if people realize that so many of the kapitlach Tehillim that we say is not David HaMelech's own poetry, but he is actually singing the songs of a very prominent family of Levites, which the Levites were, that's, they're the masters of song. The Levites are the masters, the Levim are the masters of song. One of those families was Korach's family. So you have in Tehillim sometimes Livnei Korach, and sometimes you have Mizmar La'asaf. There's a fellow by the name of Asaf. Who's Asaf? Asaf was one of the sons of Korach. And he says in one of his Kapitlech of Tehillim, he says as follows, Kael, Mizmar La'asaf, Kael Elohim Havaya Yudke Vavke Diber. That's how he opens up. I think it's Perek, um, I think it's Perek uh, Nun Vav, Mizmar Leosov, Kale Elohim Havaya, Hashem, Kale Elohim Hashem, Yudke Vavke, Diber, Hashem spoke, and Vayikra Aret, something like that, and he called the world, the world into being. So these three Shemais that there are mentioned over here, Kale Elohim, and, and Yudke Vavke, represent this, this, this process. Kale, we always know, is the name of kindness. Chesed Kale kol hayoyim. Kale is the name of Hashem's kindness. So Kale is the initial desire for God to create. The infinite light, that's Kale. It's the desire, the, one, the reason why the Orein Sof is initially, initially 
revealing itself. That's kill. What's the next movement? Elohim. What's Elohim? Tzimtzum, contraction. After kale comes the tzimtzum, the contraction of holding back. Too much light. So it has to hold back. Then what happens next? Yudkei vavkei. What's Yudkei vavkei? Yudkei vavkei is that narrow kav, that, that small little teaching that the student can, hands, can handle. That's the third, that's teferes. Chesed gevura teferes. Which teferes is what? The idea of harmonizing, that there is a recipient, but yet, I'm not holding back, I'm going to communicate with the recipient. So these, so the kav, that narrow, thin thread of light that's coming in to illuminate the creations, that's the Yud Kei Who's singing this song? Asaf is singing that song. Why is Asaf singing that song? Because Asaf ended up in the ground. He ended up swallowed up in the earth together with his father, because his father was his father didn't reach the, the name Kale, his father, got, his father was looking from the bottom up. He saw Yudke Vavke, and on top of that he saw Elohim. He saw that power of Tzimtzum. And he thought that the Tzimtzum is like what it's all about. It's all inside that contraction. And if we can only get to that contracted inwardness of God, that's the highest of the high. He didn't realize that higher than that even is the desire to be Mashpia. Kale is first. And the reason there is Elohim is only to enable the next level to happen. So to hide the infinite light. So once the infinite light is hidden, Hashem can project another light that is possible for us to receive. And eventually we're going to be able to receive the Ein Sof himself through a process of expansion that's going to happen later. But Kel Elohim, he now has to admit, Asav has to admit that, that there is higher than Elohim. And that's Kel Elohim Hashem Diber. There's, a, there's three stages. I, my, my thought that I had at the beginning of the share that I got all excited about was that since Korach was highlighting, I, I didn't see it, but I think it's a cool idea. It might, it might be true. Since Korach was highlighting the power of Tzimtzum, which what's the power of Tzimtzum? The reabsorption of the light back into its source. So what happened to Korach himself? He also got reabsorbed in the earth because that's ultimately man comes from the earth, right? Well, the earth, the body was created from the earth. So, in other words, he went back into the hidden state where the light is going. So, that's what, if that's what you're celebrating, symptom, then you're really celebrating the non-creation, the return of everything back into its source. So Korach and his buddies get swallowed into the source. So the source swallows them back. When we're created, what happens? It's the earth projects outward, create created beings. Even though the earth is so much more powerful than the individual creations, but the earth yet gives life. And it's amazing how the earth, even though the earth is bigger than all of us, and eventually, you know, the body goes back into the earth, but as long as we're alive, the earth takes care of us in a very meticulous way. The earth gives us particular nourishment for each person. How much we need, what we need through the food that we eat. So the earth is able to particularize. But if you don't want this kav, you don't like this, this, this projection, and all you want is that great power of symptom, then go back into the earth, swallowed back into its source. Could be, I haven't seen that anywhere, but it fits in with what we're learning. A little deeper in this idea, and that is that whenever in Yiddishkeit, and this is the rule, and it's a shame because we can really talk about this for at least another two hours, okay? So we don't have that time. But there's a very, very important idea. This notion carries through in all of Yiddishkeit. It is very, 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 very important to know that every time we have any type of inspiration and 
and movement within our lives to withdraw from the from the people or the environment or the place that we are an influence to that we can 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 inspire can for instance as parents sometimes we get very 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 we need a break and that, that makes sense and sometimes you just have to go away on vacation for for a few days and sometimes you have to leave your children behind so that just that you can air out and catch yourself and get deeper and just connect so here's the idea and that's as a, as a, as as a parent and as a teacher and as a rabbi and as a and as a um and it's everything. It's an, every person has those that they influence in, those that they take care of. And through they're the source of life, direction, enlightenment, and so forth. For these people, they're depending on you for their energy, for their life, for their sustenance, spiritual and whatever else. You're taking care of them. You're giving them. You're filling their needs. But there are times that, you know, if you're just giving and giving and giving, you deplete so you need what? There are times that you need a break. So you need to replenish yourself. But here's always, always the rule. A withdrawal from those that you want or need your influence is only allowed to be done if the intention of it is to bring more energy and more, more, more involvement and more light into those recipients. The, to, to celebrate and to enjoy the, the, the withdrawal, the, the, the running away from those vessels, just for the enjoyment and the pleasure that it gives you, because some people are naturally more introverted and more, they enjoy more the inner space of ideas, the inner space of knowledge, the inner space of, than, than, than being influencers or projectors outward. They just don't like that. That's not the space. And therefore, they'd much rather be, unless they're forced to come out of their shell and to influence, they don't do it. They love to hang out and. That's not the, the, the derech of what Torah and Yiddishkeit demands. Torah and Yiddishkeit demands that your kohanim energy, which means you're projecting light, should always be the main factor and your main intention in your life. See, Korach's desire was that, more than that, see, Korach's desire was that the kohanim, not that he wanted to eliminate the whole idea of kohuna, he wanted kohanim, he felt the opposite, I told you, according to the first opinion. He wanted the Kohanim, he wanted the Kohanim to be subservient to him. So what does that mean? That there should be Kohanim. I'll give you a simple example. Sometimes a person could project energy or influence to others, but his intentions, his or her intentions, are not the other's, but their, their intentions are actually the gain that they're going to get for themselves. I'll give you an example. When a teacher teaches um, students, there is a concept that a lot I learned from my, from my mentors, from my teachers, even more than that I learned from my friends, and the deepest knowledge I received from my students. That's what the sages say, from my students I learned more than, more than everybody. So let's just hypothetically imagine it's possible that someone becomes a teacher and an inspirer to others and the only reason they're inspiring and teaching others is not because they're interested in shining light to the others in, in, in actually 
being an influencer on other people so that they can illuminate their lives. But what his, real, his or her real interest is, because only if I will teach this to others, I will gain again a better understanding. And it was really, really at his core is his own inner elevation of himself, not the students. That idea is, means that the reason there is kohanim is for the sake of the levium. That means if I will send energy down to my students, that's going to cause a rebounding light. Because I'm going to, by lowering myself down, and they're going to ask questions back and forth, it's going to cause me to have to think deeper and get deeper into myself. So what am I really, what's my ultimate objection? My ultimate objective. What's my ultimate objective? Is I want to be richer, I want to be deeper, I want to be better, I want to be higher, I want to be, I want to have deeper clarity, but it's about, but it's not that way. Really the truth is it's supposed to work the opposite. The deeper I go into myself, for whatever reason, when I'm studying or learning or praying, the deeper, the more inspiration, the higher I get in my spiritual life, my intention is that I should be able to make a bigger difference in the actual physical world around me, in the lives of other people. What's so great about what I learned? Guess what? I can share this with others. And who knows if this that I'm now sharing with others how this is going to impact their lives. How this is going to add ah, a better understanding in, 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 in their lives. So the, the intention over here is the kohanim. The intention is the drawing down into a vessel, into a, into a, uh, into a keli, into a vessel. We can see this in relationships. In, in relationships between, between uh, husband and wife. You see, there's different types of people. You know? One can, a person can be so much into the depth of the relationship. How much I really appreciate you, how much I feel you, how much I know you, how much I, I, I revel in who you are and what you are. And that satisfies them. They're satisfied in their, in their excitement of how they're deeply appreciating the other. But then they fail to uh, take the garbage out when it needed to be done. Or to, uh, I asked you to please go to the store and shop so and so. But then the husband has no idea what his wife wants from him. My whole day I was sitting and thinking of you. I'm so enthralled by who you are. So big deal. So, <laughs> Who cares? Shopping? Is that important? It's the cucumbers and the, and the, and the, and the salt that I didn't bring home. It's, it's, it's the relationship. The answer is, <laughs> there is a practical, real, outer world. A world of kalim. A world of vessels. And in that kalim, the world... You need to take that love and that admiration and that excitement and channel it into a, into a concrete material care that the other person needs and wants. If for you it's, it's, it's sensational to be in this sensation of the love, that's great. That's a world of ideas. That's a world of the abstract. That's a Levite experience. 
It's the inner world of the pleasure and of the enjoyment, but it's not the outer vessel world of containers. And what's more important is that maybe you don't have this highest, deepest love for me, but when I ask you to do something, it kind of gets done because you just <laughs> are able to, 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 to take care of what is in the practical, actual world, what is important. And God, in a sense, is saying the same thing. We might think that with God it's different because with God, like you, my wife can't sense my deep pleasure in my inner heart of our hearts. She can't feel that. So to her, what really makes a difference, if I, want, if, I'm, if, I, if I care about her, then I will actually listen to what she asks me to do. If she needs something, I will take care of that need. But God does sense and feel the deep abstract love and appreciation that I have for Him. So does God really, really, really actually need the tefillin? Does He actually need me to do these chores? Maybe it's much deeper to Him the romance and the depth of the love that I have. But it's not that way. Because God says, the place that you will actually meet me, the place that you will actually connect to me, is if you will do the thing I asked you to do. Not so much revel in my light and how much you love me. Can you do the mitzvah? Can you not do them? Will you do it? Bringing it down into vessels and bringing it down into containers. The Kohanim's avoda is superior to the Levium. We need the Levium as well, because people that are only into, always in the practical aspects of their life, always tending to their spouse in the practical, but never take time to appreciate each other in a deeper, higher, more soulful dimension or even romantic inner world but are just into the action so even if the action gets done there's no energy there there's no, it's lifeless so you need both can have a world of only kohanim which is all about the projection the actual deed bringing things down into the practical without delving deep into the soul you need both the question is however which one is, 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 am, am, am I working on discovering my deep love for you so that I can be a better husband and take care of you in the things that you need? Or am I taking care of you in the practical world and taking care of your needs so that I can deeply appreciate you deep, deep, deep in my soul? Which one is the Jewish way? The Jewish way is I go deep into my love for you so that I can take care of you practically and be there for you when you need me in the actual things that you need. And that's in all aspects of our, of our relationship with Hashem and our aspect with the world. It's always most important to get the deed done. Not to get lost in the world of theoretical ideas and exciting aspects up there. It's all about the poil mamish, the actualization of godliness in this world, in which the in which you need the Levites, but the Levites should be um, subservient to the Kohan. I totally did not get to explain the second half of the share at all. For the explanation regarding, uh, I'm sorry, the Kohanim monitoring every aspect of the Levim 
and the difference between the two opinions and the meaning of why particularly the Kohanim have to be in charge of covering those vessels and what does it mean that the stranger will not be able to approach we couldn't jam-pack that into this class so please listen or join us Wednesday night again usually the class is on Thursday but this week it's going to be on a Wednesday night at 8.30 in which I'm going to be teaching this discourse uh, inside and we're going to discuss all these topics or you can listen to it online as the class will be posted by Ezra Sashem on Thursday. And that's, 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 the, and that's the lesson of Parshas Korach. That Korach, that, 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 that desire for transcendence and for, 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 for this gevura has to be subject to chesed because only in chesed will we eventually reach the place where a kvoid Hashem with the glory of God will fill the Tachtonim, the actual physical world, and that is the coming of Mashiach. Return to the land of your soul